Hello, and welcome to the NVIDIA AI Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Kravitz. We're going to get meta for a second here, so hang on. Back in 2003, Nick Bostrom of the University of Oxford wrote a seminal paper exploring the question of whether or not we're actually living in a computer simulation. Since then, philosophers and scientists of all sorts have been arguing over the answer. Whether or not we're living in a simulation ourselves, what's not in question is the utility of computer simulations in our own reality. Our ability to create ever more realistic computerized simulations of human beings, digital humans if you will, serves us in fields ranging from entertainment and gaming to design, architecture, and engineering, simulating not only what humans will look like in a given environment, but also how they'll behave, or how will behave, I should say, lets us create more useful, efficient, and safer designs across all sectors of industry and life. Here to explain a little bit more and pull the curtain back a bit on the cutting-edge work his team is doing on digital humans is Simon Yoon. Simon is Director of Graphics and AI at NVIDIA, where he leads the digital human efforts, which I'll let him explain in just a second. Before joining NVIDIA, Simon spent more than 21 years in the visual effects industry, working on the art and technology that powered a number of high-profile games and movies you're no doubt familiar with. Simon, welcome, and thanks for taking the time to join the NVIDIA AI podcast. Thank you, Noah. Thanks for the introduction, and very happy to be here. So we were talking a bit before we hit record, and there are about a million, uh, a million and one things to talk about here. I was listening. Uh, I'll start by saying that anybody listening to this, go check out the, um, it was called Digital Humans for Digital Twins. Did I get that right? The GTC session that just went up? Yeah, that's correct. Go check that out. It's fascinating on a number of levels, technical and the sort of meta stuff that I like to think about. But let me start by, by at the beginning here, kind of the basics. Can you explain a little bit about what Digital Human is and, and what the work that your team has been doing is all about? Sure. Digital Human, in, in essence, is a digital version of uh, ourselves inside the virtual world. Um, so it could be something, whether a cartoonish avatar of yourself or something more of a realistic version of yourself in, in the digital world. Um, it could be movies, it could be uh, games, it could be in VR environments, uh, it could be in uh, you're being a, you're as a virtual version of yourself as a teacher. It can be any of these forms and it's growing. And so what are some of the applications that I touched a little bit and I was really just kind of cribbing from the, the GTC session I listened to, but uh, what are some of the applications that folks might be familiar with for digital humans? I mentioned gaming and entertainment, um, and it made me think of one of the, the first episodes of this show that I, I had the fortune to do when I first started hosting was with an artist talking about um, using AI to render zombie ar armies for video games and kind of taking that, <laughs> that sort of grunt work off of the visual team and letting the computer you know, kind of churn out these digital zombies. Is it that kind of stuff? And then what are, you know, what are some of the more recent things that, that are being done with digital humans? So I think digital human for, for the past, you know, two decades or so, everybody knows in terms of the entertainment industry, for, whether it's games or um, movies, uh, that's been used a lot. And the goals there are, are a lot more for visual satisfaction, um, but I think over time, and especially since I joined NVIDIA, I've realized there are a, a ton more uh, needs and usage for digital human um, outside of the entertainment sector. Uh, for example, uh, medical simulations, education, as I mentioned, 
and a new avenue into the AI-based, AI-driven uh, digital human assistance, uh, where you see a customer service that's represented as a digital human versus just a voice or, or you know, in the past, more horror graphics. But that gets more into simulation versus just a visual result. And those haven't really come about till now is because it's uh, simulating uh, digital human is, is much harder and the computational needs are much higher. Uh, we're getting closer to the point where that's possible. So when you talk about uh, simulation as opposed to uh, just a visual representation, what does that entail? I, I Again, from the talk, I know there was um, discussion about human behavior and sort of simulating the way that people might behave in a given environment. But can you talk a little bit more about what that means? So in I'll take digital twin as an example. Uh, digital twin it's basically virtualizing a real company process. It could be a factory. It could be uh, some sort of uh, a building that you're trying to build. But basically, the idea is that, uh, and I'll take factory as an example, um, that is the most clear. So, you know, a, a factory, like a car manufacturer, has a, you know, many assembly lines, many workers. And the idea of Digital Twin is simulating that one to one inside the computer first. Uh, that is to for safety reasons, for cost reasons, and for many other reasons. And in simulation, what that means is now if I have a robot that can pick up, you know, a, a ton of metal, that is fully simulated. That inside the computer, all the mechanics and the torque of actually you, this robot arm is real, meaning real as in I'm using this uh, solver in the computer to solve. What power does it need to pick up this one ton of metal? And so the same thing applies to digital human. If I am simulating the workers within uh, the assembly line, all the motion, all the walks, all the timing has to be realistic, not just visually appealing, but not uh, plausible in reality. Right. How do you capture that data to start with? How do you... Um... How do you determine what is realistic for, you know, human behavior? Uh, if I'm on an assembly line, I don't know, 100 feet down from a robot that's moving a ton of metal at a time, what kinds of things are important to capture and, and how do you capture and put into the system what those humans are, are doing? It, it is a really good question. In computer graphics, there's multiple discipline. Animation is one of them. For things like CG rendering, where here's a picture, here's a CG version of it, it's very easy to compare. For motion, it gets more subjective. We do start by a lot of our simulation by using and training from real world data. So we could motion capture various different peoples and different proportions and things like that. But the system itself learns those behavior and not only learn the motion of these human uh, behavior, but also the physics, what it takes to move the joints or muscles uh, to mimic those behaviors. Right. So we're getting closer to simulating those motions with actual physics uh, solvers. And so it's not just purely say, hey, I'm going to mocap a person and just put put this on the skeleton. So that's where, that's where a lot of things, that's where we're heading towards in terms of simulating. But there's still a lot, a lot of work to do. I, I can only imagine. Let's take your example of a, a factory a little bit further. So when you've created a, a simulation, a realistic simulation, you know, in terms of the behavior and the physics and the other elements that are crucial to a factory floor, 
what would you, or, or maybe in this case, it's the customer, um, Automaker X, what would they do with the simulation and how would they use it to inform, you know, real world decisions going forward? That's a, that's a really good question. So a lot of the factories, let's say, the people who are in charge of making sure there's a successful assembly line, uh, the flow that keeps consistent and keeps going, they have to time very carefully what each process takes. So if you're putting together a coffee machine, you have uh, the jar, the mechanics that's inside the coffee machine, the electronics and all that. Somebody has to weld it, put it together, you know, put the screws on. Right, right. And each of those have to be calculated fairly accurately. Right now, those are all um, so-called role-played by people. So they kind of try it out and do that. But okay. of course, there's a, a bit of uh, inefficiency with that and, and inaccuracy. So with digital human, they can try different scenarios out. What, what makes sense? What's safe? In a factory like um, with bigger machinery, the robot arms could be in the way. So they might not be able to make this 15-second round trip that they need to. And they get to work all that out in the computer right. first. Okay. It, it almost sounds like uh, choreographing a, <laughs> a very complex dance between you know humans and machinery and, and other things to kind of make sure when I go to get my part I need or whatever it is, I don't get hit in the head by this swinging robot arm. And <laughs> Absolutely. It, it is like that. So Simon, my kind of nascent understanding is that uh, digital human is already affecting like really kind of a wide uh, swath of, of industry and society. Can you give the listeners a little bit of an idea of all the, the different areas of life that, that your work is impacting already? Yes, definitely. So one of the things I brought up earlier was in the past two decades, a lot of digital human focus has been more visual. After joining to NVIDIA and having a lot of Many, you know, many different types of industries of customers talking to us about digital human. And I've learned and, and saw that the usage is actually much, much wider than entertainment and a lot of the exposure I've had in the past. A lot of it uh, comes from uh, medical mm -hmm. uh, people training for doctors and nurses or even sometimes patients uh, for recovery and consulting. Oh, interesting. Uh, they're all actually looking at digital human. And I'll come back to this because I have a there's a good example for that. Yeah. Um, education, you know, just training for kids because sometimes you know they might want to be playful with um, with a more special type of character mm. than a real person, right. and it it keeps their engagement high. Um, as well as uh, you know some of these cases we talked about for digital twins and all that. Also, there's use cases for um, a lot more. AI-driven uh, assistance, as well as streaming characters. I think there's there's more and more people who would like to have a virtual presence of themselves in social media, uh, Twitch, games, Discord, and all of that. Right, right. So we're looking to see how we can make that easier for people to to do. So so the one example I wanted to give was uh, we came across a med medical education uh, company that they create training videos for just medical professionals. Okay. One of the projects they're getting into is um, that some sometimes certain uh, medical condition patients, they prefer talking to a virtual human. Mm. You know, and, and some of these cases, they, they could be you know, disfigured and, and they don't, okay. they're not comfortable. Right. And so they're trying to build digital humans for use cases like that. So 
one of the condition was that, that it has to be believable. Right. But they had a overwhelming response that some of these people prefer talking to digital human for their consulting. So that would not be something I, I, I would have uh, thought of. Yeah. It makes me wonder what believable means or, or will evolve into meaning in that kind of a situation where, you know, it's somebody or, or a, a cohort expressing we're actually more comfortable with something that's digital, but kind of, I don't know, it seems sort of by nature of the term digital human and, and this idea of believable that there has to be some sort of human-based element kind of mixed into it. And it just makes me wonder, you know, a couple a year, five years, whatever it is down the road, when the technologies evolve more, what that, you know, particular most comfortable for this medical cohort, or even to your earlier example for kids, you know, and having that comfort with a, a digital character, what that'll look like going forward. Yeah. It's the beginning of wild times. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that, th- those things you just mentioned gives a great example of how diverse digital human is right. and, and the kind of needs from stylized to realistic and and some like you might want to talk to somebody you feel like they're emoting and and having believable you know right conversation right right to just hey i want to have fun does the the work that you're doing either now or could going forward well, i was wondering before about the technical aspects of applying some of this stuff you know, obviously to 3D rendering, but then into uh, virtual and kind of extended reality spaces. But what we were just talking about made me think a little bit about social robotics and, you know, the, the idea of physical machines in the world that are able to emote or otherwise kind of express things that tap into a, a sort of particular strand of human believability. Is the work that you're doing, is that applicable also to, you know, robots and uh, physical world renderings, if that's not a good term, absolutely. you know what I mean? Yeah, it is. Okay. Yes, absolutely. We think that, and, and this we didn't get into too much, is the conversational AI aspect. Right. To train an AI so you can interact with is definitely a big part of uh, what we're thinking for uh, robotics and how you train something virtually that can create and and you can teach it a bunch of these behaviors and in, in conversing and having the right understanding of what you just told me and I can give you the right response. Mm-hmm. And just the, even the polish of that personality. Right. It is uh, the same core that drives digital human, but can be applicable to many things. Um, and we do, you know, we have our, uh, an actual robotics lab, for example. Sure. And that is for this exact purpose where we can simulate and train the computer, build the real thing that we know it's going to work. But that's where the simulation has to be very accurate. That also has to do with safety mm. because robots need to know how to work around humans. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah, bad things <laughs> disaster. <happen>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So great. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. So let's talk about this idea of a digital twin. We talked about the title of the GTC session Digital Human for Digital Twin. I'm wondering right off the bat, and I thought this is where you were going with it, but you didn't. Can I create? a twin of myself with this technology and put it into a situation and let it run wild and see what, you know, how would I behave if I was uh, assembling coffee machines or what's the, what's the idea behind digital twin? So a lot of that title is uh, it it can, it can actually be misleading. It's, it's a lot of people misunderstood as in, this is the twin of myself, right? But it actually is a fairly new term um, that I'm aware of that came up these these few years. And it actually has nothing to do with digital human for that term. 
it's really a simulation. It's like you're making a twin of some other real environment in the computer. That's really got good. it. Okay. Um, and digital human lives within or simulates within digital twin um, is usually mostly what happens. And what you mentioned about fully simulating a virtual agent in the environment mm -hmm. is uh, one of our goals is to get to that point where it has enough knowledge, it understands the environment, it understands certain rules and physics that it can be on its own and see what happens. Now, I don't want to make a, well, no, I'm going to go ahead and play the role of making what might be a little bit of an ignorant leap to a question, but this sounds like it must be different, but it makes me think of pursuing general AI. In other words, if if we're talking about the goal being to be able to create a digital version of a you know, a person who not just not doesn't just look like a person and move like a person, but actually has behaviors that are realistic. How how similar or different is that to kind of pursuing a general AI? It's a little different in that we ourselves as humans, judging other humans or digital humans, are the pickiest critique. <laughs> I think if we're tasking an AI just to say recognize dogs and cats. It's a very specific domain uh, training, and it does the, you know these task-oriented things well. But for another uh, somewhat organic agent that lives inside the computer, that you want it to understand and know how to behave on its own, it, it is much, much more complex. You can almost think of many AI working together. There's a lot of both thinking, decisions, behaviors in humans that have many, many mechanisms working together seamlessly to create that behavior. So even just the, the notion of looking real and, and moving real is a very hard goal. 100%. And I, I didn't mean, I hope I didn't downplay the complexity of that. Just that itself. So that itself, having AI to help a lot, AI, I think, makes it plausible to even attempt at what we're trying to do. But it's it's still, it's a very... It's very much more complex, I guess, with, compared to general AI. Our guest today is Simon Yoon. Simon is Director of Graphics and AI at NVIDIA, where he's leading uh, something called Digital Human, which we've been talking about. And you have a background in visual effects, and I teased at the top, you've worked in um, motion pictures and, and gaming and other aspects of, of entertainment. Can you talk a little bit about how AI and, and all the technologies we put under that umbrella have changed the kind of work you do. And I know that you've been with NVIDIA for a couple of years now, is that right? Yeah. So there may have been sort of a forced kind of jump or change in the kind of work you do, kind of moving into, into this role and, and on this side of the industry. But how has, you know, in the two decades plus you've been doing this kind of work, how has AI played a part and kind of advanced or changed or whatever the right word is? You know, all of this work, but particularly the, the visual aspects, right? The making things look more realistic and how they look and how they move and that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. So before I talk about that, I, I need to explain a little bit, I think, what some of our goals are. Perfect. And, you know, a lot of people are working on some great solutions for digital human. And what makes sense for, for NVIDIA for us to be thinking about this problem, we think you know, especially my background in visual effects, creating a realistic digital human is a very time-consuming and laborious process. It requires a lot of just, you know, throwing people. There's a lot of great technology behind it, but it is such a complex problem that it does end up to require a lot of 
just artists and TDs and technical people to put a lot of efforts, sometimes sequence to sequence, frame by frame, shot by shot. And so that itself screams an opportunity to, to potentially make it easier and make it better. And that's, that's really, I think, where um, NVIDIA's vision is. It's three pillars of experience in AI, uh, simulation and real-time graphics, really is a, is a good uh, foundation for tackling some of these problems. And we look at the problem as, as a, it's a very giant problem. We don't, we don't see it as a, it, it's gonna be a collaboration with a lot of different people to get to solve some of these problems. And especially as the coming of the metaverse, as as we see it, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk. Yeah, about yeah. <laughs> that. And how this gets into AI is it has to do a lot with the how do we make it easier and simpler? How do we potentially mm-hmm. democratize three D creation, digital human creation? How how do we potentially do that? And I don't think we can do any of that without the help of AI. And this gets into my experience and how that has changed since more exposure of using AI, understanding of it, and also the the difficulty of it. Mm-hmm. It can do some things that are very magical. And I'll quote Mr. Mr. Jensen Huang <laughs> for a second. Uh, you know, we are at a point where, you know, programs can write uh, programs that no humans could write. Mm-hmm. And as, as cliche as that may sound, it is very true. Uh, you cannot write a program that can recognize, uh, do image recognition better than an AI system. You cannot do that manually. Same thing with behaviors or how to automate animation. How do you, uh, or how to accelerate uh, muscle simulation that takes days and weeks to real time. Right. That is all really um, strong aspects of uh, deep learning and, and machine learning. It's something that you can't do. Now, the tough part about Leveraging AI is complexity. It is, as I mentioned earlier, uh, very. It's very good at doing a particular thing you wanted to do. If you train how some motion work for running, walking, or locomotion, it doesn't mean it'll know how to get into uh, fighting mode right. or, you know, how to tumble on the ground and things like that. So those are the kind of breakthroughs we we are also looking at in terms of adaptive AI and, and smarter, more intelligent, probably networks of uh, AI systems. So. Right. So you, you, teased, uh, you teased the metaverse. Can you tell us a little bit about the metaverse and audio two-face? And um, or I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing that, audio two-face, but I, I like audio two-face. It sounds like a, no, an, evil, yeah. an evil character and you know, a, a deep <laughs> fake villain out there somewhere. Um, tell us a little bit about that and uh, about, uh, I know that the digital human group has been working kind of under the radar for a while, uh, but audio two-face is your first kind of product that you're publicly launching. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's correct. So audio two-face was something that there was a MV research paper that came out in 2017. And when I joined NVIDIA, I felt that was uh, that paper had a lot of potential, but also there were things that it can also be better so that we can truly productize it. And then right about that time, we had a lot of game developers that come talk to us and say, they're pretty much at the verge, at the end of uh, what they can do manually mm-hmm. in terms of creating these games and large worlds. And this large worlds in game is uh, very analogous to metaverse. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. 
but basically they they for example this one game developer uh, mentioned they did motion capture straight for two and a half years for a single game wow they have more objects in this world than they can manually track right they can't even create enough just the environments props and, and all this not to mention humans that's where games are heading and and their next game is just going to be two three times bigger so they asked, hey, NVIDIA, can you guys come up with the technology potentially to leverage AI to um, automatically generate some of these, uh, right, you right. Know, whether it's the models or behaviors and things like that. So that's out of out of some of the existing needs and our goals for you know simplifying and accelerating how people create digital human, uh, we came up with uh, how to push forward with audio to face. And it's a technology that basically you can create a facial animation based on your voice. And it's specifically for uh, lip sync voice based animation. Uh, we do a lot of talking. A lot of digital characters do a lot of talking. And right now, the current technology to do that is very time consuming, very domain expert specific. Um, not any person without 3D knowledge can do it. Right. So those are those are the um, motivation to create something that, uh, and we have an example of this is um, there's a six year old girl from one of our coworker who's singing Happy Birthday as a rhino for for <laughs> nice. uh, her dad, yeah. and and that's a perfect example of what the, the kind of accessibility we want our technology to have is to have more people joined this 3D world and created it. I mentioned off air that uh, earlier this morning I showed my own kids who are, my youngest is eight, the demo. There's a very cool little animation, kind of Bohemian Rhapsody style with three heads, <laughs> but they're rapping, uh, yeah. showing off audio to face. Yeah. Uh, folks can go check that out on the NVIDIA site. It's great. But now I'm imagining, oh, I should download the open beta and let them go nuts with, uh, you know, see what they can come up with a rhino head, or I'm sure um, there'll be a, Ro- a Roblox style character in there before too long if I turn them loose. So uh, tell tell us about the metaverse then. So there's been many discussion about uh, the metaverse where this, you have one or many virtual worlds that can bridge together mm-hmm. and where a digital human can exist in this world, having its own society, having its own playground it's it's a um it's a live social platform in the digital in the digital realm and a, a lot of it already is i've been pushing towards that direction uh, you know fortnite has uh from epic have you know created some great examples yeah uh, there you know concerts within fortnite and things like that and have invited many people and the response was outstanding like a lot of people really enjoyed this new medium. Yep. And we think that's just going to get bigger and bigger and more. It would even be less of a specific uh, game or game world, but uh, more general, like Facebook, if not even bigger. Right. The other thing that I mentioned in the GTC talk about Digital Twin is that I think there's a there's also a growing trend for enterprise metaverse. Mm-hmm. And that actually might hit, in my opinion, even sooner uh, than, you know, the commercial or, or, or than the, um, social uh, metaverse. Yeah. The, the commercial stuff always gets the headlines, but the, the enterprises where a lot of yeah. this stuff really takes off first. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's actual business needs for this Yep. right now. People are, you know, I think COVID definitely accelerated this, but I think everybody's heading this way already where you know, it's a global world now 
and we have many people collaborating from different cities. And so, you know, being able to truly have an experience where you feel like you're there and, and, and being able to visualize, um, and not only from a visual perspective, but affect the simulation of a factory you're building somewhere, or, or certain processes, or we have actually some clients asking, they're trying to design uh, buildings and architectures uh, together virtually. Right. And they want to make sure that things like audio to face is something they can use because a lot of design language isn't spoken. It's by looking at the expressions and gestures mm-hmm. and things like that. That's what they're used to in a meeting. Sure. And so there's more people who are working on this problem than you know, a lot of um, uh, public have talked about. So I think this idea of metaverse for enterprise is is very real and, and, and it's coming. We could talk about this uh, all day, but I want to ask you, can I throw a technical question, kind of a broad technical question at you? As you think about um, the work, and let's just cap it to kind of since you've joined NVIDIA and have been working on digital human, um, think about the work that your team has been doing. Was there a technical moment, whether, either... Um, you know, an incredibly difficult challenge that you were able to get past, or maybe something that kind of surprised you, something that kind of leaps out as sort of a, a technical kind of watershed or big moment related to the work you've been doing on digital human that you could share with the audience. Yeah, there's there's many, many. I'm times sure. Yeah, <laughs> as we're trying to figure out, uh, democratization um, hasn't happened because it's it's a very hard problem. We can have cool ideas. But to make it some something that you know our parents can use or our kids can use is a is a different level. Yes. But I think it's a really great question. Uh, there is one thing I can think of that was a good realization when we're trying to productize audio to face, and it's it's also a test bed for an AI product to make sure it was the customers don't have to train an AI to use it was part of the design right. and to make it easy. If you ask a person, even though they're manually animating a face and it's a slow process, but it, they can get to the finish line. But if they have to change a parameter and wait for a couple hours every time, mm-hmm. that's automatically not going to work. Right. So by thinking how to make some of these AI technology productizable, make it a reality that people that can really help people. I think that combining traditional or current, you know, computer graphics technology seamlessly in a way with AI is something that, uh, you know, we actually came up with and and, and tried. And, and so far, it's been working pretty well, uh, having pretty good positive feedback in our open beta. And so I think opening the mind, and this is both a, a conclusion that it's difficult to combine some AI technology seamlessly in 3D uh, graphics, mm. but we are open more to that. And so far, if we are careful in how we combine them, it can yield to some really fantastic results. And that's something that I think people tend to think of AI as, as its own thing that it can solve everything. Right. But I think combining both simulation and also real-time graphics together, and it doesn't have to be one solution. It's a, it's a hybrid of many. Yeah. And that design of it is very important. So I think that was a like, good realization. There are a million 
maybe in my head they're related. Maybe they're not. I don't know. A million questions I want to ask you about VR and AR and XR and all that, which just means we're going to have to invite you to come back on the show sometime uh, if you're game. I'd love to, yeah. Excellent. For now, are there places people can go? We mentioned um, Audio to Face. There's a, a great little animated demo or you know, video clip demo and also the open beta. There's that GTC session that we've been talking about. Where are some places that uh, folks can go online if they want to dig in more to the work that you and your team are doing uh, and even get their hands on or their eyes on any of the kind of more technical resources as well? So I think definitely uh, the path to um, GTC uh, there's some great talks about digital human, especially this past uh, April one. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of a plug. Yeah, please. Uh, stay tuned, you know, for SIGGRAPH. Okay. And the next GTC has, we have a lot more plans. But Excellent. Good. We like plugs. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Simon Yoon, thank you. And again, uh, let, let's let's pick this thread back up maybe, um, you know, down the line when some more stuff is out in the public, because there's so much to get into here and all kinds of bad metaverse puns that I'm just dying to make, but I'm trying to bite my tongue. <laughs> but uh, thank you for taking the time to come on the show and um, best of luck to, uh, to you and your team and, and everything you're doing. Uh, seems like one of these things that we're catching, catching the... Um, the beginning of the bandwagon, if you will, before, you know, lots of folks get hip to to uh, this stuff that's probably impacting their lives already and they just don't know about it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. It has been fantastic. <laughs>